Welcome to the Friday, July 2nd edition of the Clemson Dubcast. Man, exciting weekend, July 4th, always always one of the favorites in, in my household, and I'm sure a lot of a lot of y'all's as well. Special time, particularly given a year ago with so much uncertainty and a lot of <laughs> hanging out in our yards by ourselves. And so that much for sure is, is being treasured to the full extent uh, from this corner. At TigerIllustrated.com, we have started our top 25 ranking of the players on Clemson's roster, and man, it is hard. And I think that's really chiefly an illustration of just how talented this roster is. I mean, good heavens, it's really hammered home in a very (laughs) vivid way when you're trying to uh, undergo the process of ranking these guys. So we had Kobe Pace at number 25 released on Thursday, and that's up at TigerIllustrated.com right now, 24 being released today. I haven't sent that in yet. I got to do that. Uh, reminder to self. And then, of course, continuing all through next week, we're going to go through that uh, top 25. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people, and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse, and neglect car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864-990-4581 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. If you're in the Eastern Midlands and PD area and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home, commercial property, land, need to consider reaching out to Uptown Realty. They're based out of Sumter and run by a friend of mine, Patrick Enzer, big Clemson guy, used to cover the Tigers in a newspaper capacity, longtime supporter of Tiger Illustrated, longtime listener to the Dubcast. The home buying process should be an enjoyable experience, so let Patrick and his staff do all the heavy lifting. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call 803-774-0435 or go to UptownRealtySC.com. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm Smith and Archenthold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced, professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-35. Okay, to our conversation, Teresa Paget, mother of Justin Foster, who has been in the news in the last few months. He quit football because of complications from COVID, then came back when it was discovered uh, that he could actually uh, safely return to the game. What about the perspective of a mother going through all this over the last year or so? Teresa joined the podcast, phone conversation yesterday. Really good stuff. Here we go. Okay, joined by Teresa Paget, mother of Justin Foster, who's on the road to Florida. I hope uh, hope y'all aren't getting stuck in any of that uh, terrible traffic uh, in the route down there. No, we're not. How are things going, uh, for, first of all, with you and also, of course, with, with Justin? Things are going great. Uh, glad to see him back at football and doing what he loves doing. So, man, there's a lot to... A lot to unpack here. Um, I, I want to say back in, it must have been March, um, I had Justin on for an extended interview just to talk about his 
uh, just what all what it all had been like for him. And at that time, he he had decided to give up football. And of course, I guess this past May, early May, was when he announced he was coming back. And so, what has this been like for you? I guess just to start off. Well, like a roller coaster for a parent, you know, because your kid, uh, you find out he has COVID, and then you think it's something simple, and then when he goes back to football and tries to condition, he, he can't get any air, and it really affected him in a big way, and uh, it affected his career with football, and, and then when they don't have any answers for you except for uh, there's certain things wrong with his lungs, it's, it's going to take time to for to change it really uh bothers you as a parent wondering when your child will get better especially when you're seeing people all over the country by uh, you know die with the, um, the virus so it's something that can really bother you as a parent i guess let's uh maybe get up to date with um maybe your perspective on the the most recent news of him coming back as i read it through i guess the accounts that uh, that, that Clemson released, um, I guess, quoting him, it sounds like he received a vaccination and then that helped uh, his condition pretty significantly. And then also uh, some of the medical folks he was visiting in uh, Durham in their post-COVID um, facility might have given him some, some new maybe perspective on the whole thing. Can you maybe... Um, maybe share share sort of the the transition from no football anymore to to then coming back and sort of what all was behind it well it was like a big question mark for us he started going to duke getting medical help and duke was able to turn a lot of things around for him they found out a lot of things that he was allergic to uh, because he also has asthma and it's a lot of things that filter into his health condition with breathing so he had to learn how to breathe a different way. Uh, it's, it's just a lot of things that come into play when you have asthma that you have to learn how to do differently to make yourself breathe a certain way. So once they gave him certain nebulizers and breathing treatments and different things like that to help and different things, different shots to help enhance his breathing, uh, things to, started to turn around. And when he called me and told me he was wanting to go back, I was very excited. What do you mean by learning to breathe a certain way? Like he has to consciously change the way he inhales and exhales? Well, everybody doesn't realize a lot of people don't breathe properly. Even people who don't have asthma sometimes don't breathe properly. And if you don't learn how to breathe, even when you exercise and condition, you have to breathe a certain way. And when you don't breathe a certain way, it causes you to not have the right exertion with your lungs. So it's not that he doesn't know how to breathe. I'm just saying it's certain breathing techniques that you do to help yourself breathe better. Hmm. We're sort of expanding so, your lungs, I guess. Yes. For lack of so, a better. Mm-hmm. So it's this thing like that that you have to do, especially if you're asthmatic. Make sure you breathe properly so that you get the proper air into your lungs. And he... Um, he was, I mean, I guess his asthma was discovered very early on because I think I read, maybe it was in a uh, Washington Post article from a few months back. He, his, for the first five of year, five years 
of his life, he was in and out of hospitals on a regular basis because of his asthma? Right. Yeah, every year he was in the hospital at least a week, almost every single time, uh, up until he was about six years old. So uh, I think it was maybe to his fifth year, but I'm almost positive it was just until he was six. And then it got better. The, the medications got better. He was able to breathe better. And I was surprised as he got older, the asthma got better, and he was able to breathe and do things because he loves sports. So um, with him learning more about asthma and things to do and not to do, he was able to play sports. What do you remember from that time in his first five years? I mean, that has to be uh, really difficult as a parent to, to go through, to see your child, go, a young, young child, go through. It's very hard because every single time that it happened, I was out of work for at least a week or two because I wouldn't be anywhere else but with my child during that time. So he, it, would, it would be hard because his breathing as a baby, looking at him, as a parent, it scares you because you wonder if it's going to take him out of here every time they get really sick like that. So, yeah, it was very hard just to watch them breathe and all the treatments they would give them and different things they would have them hooked up to. So, yeah, it's very hard as a parent to watch your child go through something like that. What's your memory of how you first discovered it? Like, how did, like, what happened? Well, him and his twin sister both was born with asthma. It's it's a trait in the family. So, um, it's just watching him, and I could see when he would get sick. Uh, The first year of his, uh, you know, his health, the doctor told me he had asthma because the way he would breathe. So it was, it's very much been in the family from day one. And we, we've always knew how to deal with it and always had to have inhalers. I have asthma myself. So it's just something that we deal with. And it's, you just have to take certain precautions to make sure nothing goes wrong with your children when they're like that. And I always have an inhaler on hand at all times. I always made sure his coaches had inhalers for him and I always had one on me to make sure that nothing happened to him as he was growing up. And so the, I guess when you're trying to evaluate whether it's safe to take up sports, to, to allow your children to take up sports while handling asthma, it, I mean, is, the, is the inhaler, the presence of inhalers, the primary, um, I guess, the primary necessity? Or are there, were there more things you had to, um, you, more questions you had to answer to feel confident that, uh, that he could still play sports at a high level even at, at, at an early age? Because as they got older, it was less severe. Um, certain things can trigger asthma if you get a really bad cold or uh, like pneumonia or something like that. But if you keep yourself pretty healthy, asthma isn't as bad as people think. Um, it just depends on every, – every case is different. So as they grew older, they got better with it, and they were able to perform better with sports. They would have some moments where they had to have an inhaler, but it wasn't something that they had to have all the time. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah. I, I yeah. sort of shifting gears a little. I, I read and heard, and I think talked about with Justin and myself. Um, that he had a mechanical mind from an early age. Can you maybe mm-hmm. share um, some of the some of the things you remember about him uh, taking a pretty keen interest in? Things like, I guess, taking lawnmowers apart and things like that. I know that, I, I, I think, I hope I'm getting this right. I think his father and also grandfather really sort of instilled that in him. Yeah, his father and his grandfather. Mostly his grandfather because he was with his grandfather a lot. Um, I would come home from work because I drove a truck for a living. So 
he also went on the truck with me sometimes, so he learned a lot of things also from me. So, and I also had a landscaping business, so he learned how to operate every piece of equipment I had. So, Justin's always been very handy, and my grandfather taught him that if you can take something apart, you can always put it back together. And as a kid, he would just get things and take them apart and put them back together. And I told the people, I think it was in the Charlotte Observer about this before, uh, he, he came, I think he was maybe three years old, my baker's rack and my kitchen was loose. He told me, he said, Mama, your, your screws are loose. And he, he said, let me have a screwdriver. And I, I gave it to him. I didn't think he was going to know what he was doing. He got a little step stool thing I had, and he screwed it and tightened them up. And I was like, okay, this child is really developing. So, yeah, so he's always been very hands-on, and he's been a curious-minded type child. So he would go do stuff and see on his own could he do it. Uh, I bought his sister a Toyota Matrix in high school, and he washed a car one day. And I'm like, where's Justin? I would go outside, and Justin drove the car, straight drive. And he taught himself how to drive. I never taught him. He watched me change the gears in her car and watched her and watched how I would shift the gears. And he taught himself how to drive a straight drive. I never, I never showed him anything. And he went around the block in the neighborhood and the car didn't have a license. And I, I was really, I was like, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm just driving the car. I said, don't do that. So, no, nah, it was a funny moment. But at the same time, I was kind of mad at him. But at the same time, I was proud that he could drive that car and I, I never taught him. So, you know. How old he did you like, Yeah. How old he did was you probably about, I guess he was probably, let me see, since he was in high school, so he had to be about 13. <laughs> yeah, because he was always tall. Sixth grade, he was six feet tall, so he was always very tall, so he could drive the car easily. So. <laughs> yeah, I think, he, I remember him telling me that when he was at Clemson, uh, that he's, sort of the go-to mechanic for whenever teammates have car problems. I think he mentioned Jackson Carmen was coming back from Atlanta. It was like halfway back from Atlanta one time, and he called him, and he went to get him. And I think he said that – I want to say he said Jackson didn't have any oil in his in his engine, so it blew up or something like that. So it sounds like he's uh, – he's, he's quite the uh, quite the go-to guy for, for teammates as well. Oh, yes. Everyone, uh, this is what I hear every time I come to the facility and, you know, the coaches go to him for a lot of things. All the players go to him for a lot of things. Justin is very keen on anything. He can research things and just learn himself. He's very self-made mechanic, I guess you could say. I don't think he would even, he would go to school, I'm sure, some things that would enhance his abilities. But I'm saying he's the type of person I think is a natural sense within him. So... I think that would be something that he will always do for the rest of his life, even after football was over or, you know, after his career in football. So. And what was he planning on doing back when he didn't think football was going to be in the picture anymore? Well, uh, we talked about trucking uh, because that's the line of work that I'm in and uh, his father's in. And we talked about trucking and he was going to go to CDLs and start to drive and, start his own business and start construction type things also since that's his major. So that, that was his plan. So um, still, that still would probably be a ongoing plan after football because that's the industry that the whole family's in. So. Um, and so you, you drove, you drove trucks for uh, uh, like 13 years, is that, or more? Uh, 19 years. 19. And actually, 
Actually, I'm going back into it. I'm starting back driving. After 10 years of a break, I decided I want to go back into the industry. So I'm actually getting ready to start back driving. I, so, and you had some back problems, I think, it, did I read somewhere? Yes, yes I had some back problems, but um, I actually feel better. I've, I've got more healthier, and I just feel like um, what's life if you can't live it? That's why I teach my kids, reach, reach to your highest goals. Even though I'm getting ready to turn 50, I still feel like that there's some goals in my life that I'm going to keep reaching. That's the reason why I tell my kids to do the same thing. What is, can you describe the, the lure of, of the trucking industry? Like what, what appeals to you and what appeals to people in general uh, to do that that inspires them to do that? Well, I'll tell you, the money in trucking industry is a, is, a, is a big commodity. A lot of people in the trucking industry make more money than a person with a college degree. Uh, a lot of people don't know that. Um, and also, it's very long hours and it's very hard work. Uh, people just think you're a steering wheel holder, and that's not the case for a truck driver. It takes a lot of will and determination, being away from home, a lot of different things that uh, trucking can be, but actually it can be a good outlet for a lot of things as far as um, financial wealth. You can be very financially stable with driving a truck. And then beyond the financial part, do you, do you uh, is there something about, I mean, do you, do you like being out traveling the, the country, or is it just more like a job? Well, I would say for a female, it's a, it's a natural high for me because a lot of it's mostly a male-dominated industry. But now it's starting to be more females in the industry. So I loved it when I was in it. There was not very many women driving, and I just feel like it's a very good industry to be into. You don't have anybody breathing over you every day, telling you what to do. And as long as you do your job and do it well, you looked upon in the industry as very highly and the different brokers and the different companies that you run for, they know who's the good drivers and you get good loads and things like that. And it's just it's good money in it, and it's just a good stable market, especially now with uh, COVID being as it was and um, commodities and everything having to be moved uh, through the Internet. Uh, freight has to be moved every day. So most occupations have, like, the ingredients for the worst day ever. Like, what's the, what's the, what, what's the, what makes a bad day for a truck driver? Accident. Uh-huh. Accident or road rage or something crazy. When people, when there's a really bad accident and there's a, a, a death involved, they shut the highways down. No traffic moves. A lot of people don't even know that. When there's a death involved, they will shut the whole highway down and nothing moves. So if you're there, that makes your freight late. Everything that you got is late. And Brokers and companies don't understand that sometimes from your point of view because you're the driver. So you have to sit there and sets back everything for you. Or when your truck breaks. If your truck breaks down, your money stops, everything stops. So if your truck breaks and say you have a turbo go out, that's the major work uh, in a truck. So you may sit, be sitting in a hotel and have to pay for a hotel for a whole week and sit and wait for your truck to be fixed before you can move again. So if you're not moving, you're not making money. How much uh, of the mechanical part of it do you have to know about as a driver? Uh, how much ex- expertise do you have to have just to be able to diagnose stuff that's wrong? Well, some people don't know much, but I try to know everything because you got to know all the parts. There are things that make everything work on a truck. The more you know, the better you can operate a truck. The better your truck is going to run, the better things are going to work for you as a driver. 
So knowing the alternator, the the belts to drive different things, what 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 it looks like when a wheel on a truck, uh, the lug nuts are loose, everything on there, airlines, all that. You need to really know all that. When you have an air leak, uh, make sure your kingpin is is locked in place. All that stuff. You got to know all that because major accidents. If you get on the highway and you go out here and you what you do is doing your pre-trip and looking at that truck to call somebody's life. So you have to be as much of a mechanic as you are driving. That's my point of view of that. So you're probably more observant than most of driving habits of others. Uh, oh, yes. I'm, I'm wondering, uh, like 20 years ago, people weren't texting all the time, whereas now it's like you can spot them a mile away, like that weave, where it looks like either they're drunk or they're texting. How dangerous is it, How much more dangerous is it from that perspective of people just being distracted sort of on their phones, like going 75 miles an hour? It's extremely dangerous. Right now, we came back from Michigan. I was on the horn, laying on the horn with some people coming back because they were texting, even truck drivers text. It's very dangerous. Hands-free is what it needs to be when you're driving a truck. If you're going to hold a conversation, let it be hands-free. I feel like the truck driver should not text while operating that large of a vehicle because you, you can have over 40,000 pounds in your back, and it's not good for someone to be operating something with that much weight, and that's not even including the weight of the tractor. So you can hit somebody just by the slightest knock of hitting another car. You can cause a lot of deaths. Have you ever gotten in a wreck? Nope. Never. Never had an accident in the truck. Nope. Well, safe driver. What's the uh, What's the average sort of leg of a of a run that you make, and what's maybe so, sort of on the extreme uh, end of it, as uh, far as distance? Years ago, I read some things that, that we shouldn't do. Sometimes, sometimes we do truck driving, do fudge hours, and go a little further than. But we stopped doing that kind of stuff because it's not it's not a good thing to do. It's not. You may get tired. And when you get tired, you need to stop. When you get sleepy, you need to stop. There's some of the things that you can't you can't do. Uh, you got to drive legally. The 10-hour bracket, legally stop and go to sleep. It's just one of those things. Years ago, a lot of people caused a lot of accidents and stuff like that. And that's the reason why I said the fudging part that these people have done in the past is something that they shouldn't do. And that's why they got stricter on truck drivers to drive a 10-hour uh, uh perimeter and stop so usually 600 miles is about 10 hours that's what you usually are supposed to do and stop i don't run over my log limit because your body needs to rest you may think you can run more but it's not it's not a good thing to run more boy we're getting really deep in the trucking industry here but i, I kind of find it interesting <laughs> do the drivers typically buy their own uh, own their own uh, cabs or truck I don't even know what it's called um, or, or, or do, you, do you use the business the companies that uh, do they provide it how does that work there's a lot of industries you have a regular company driver you have an owner operator and then you have a uh, you have your own authority so if you run with your own authority you're your own business if you're on operator you're more likely you're leased on to a company so it's different levels of trucking uh, that you do. So it depends on how high of a level you want to run um, with um, the trucking. So Justin, that's where he wants to be at. He wants to be at that type of level of trucking. We, we have our own authority of running. His father has his own business. Uh, he has his own trucking fleet. So Justin, that's where he wants to be at. You said his father has his own fleet? 
Yes, he has his own fleet of trailers. And and I guess, is that in Raleigh? Yes, that's in Raleigh. Okay, and, and the so area. yeah, so it was that. So I know that I think I'm getting this right. He, Justin, had gone up there to maybe start work, and and was that why he went over to Duke to see those uh, those medical folks, or was he would he have gone up there anyway? I think he would have went up there anyway from the discussions that we had. Uh, Duke was the best doctors for him to go see. It wasn't just he's always went with his father and did things with trucks all his life. And with me the same. So Duke Hospital was just one of the things that we tried to do. Uh, he decided that's where he wanted to go on his own. That's where he wanted to go to see. And there were suggestions made about it. So, you know, he's 22, so he's able to make his own decisions with a lot of things. We just give him the advice that we feel uh, is best for him because Justin's very responsible. Yeah, so um, you, you mentioned that he would go with you on some of your uh, some of your trips working. You got you have any any special memories, uh, any vivid recollections of, of you two uh, going mm-hmm. off on the road together? Uh, I took Justin with me. I think when he was his first truck ride with me. I think when he was maybe two years old. Two? Yes. <laughs> How do you do that? Um, yeah, he was in a car seat, ducking that in the back bunk. Uh, and I took him to I took him down to uh, Corpus Christi, Mexico, and they thought he was about four. And I said, "No, he's only two. So. <laughs> does Does he remember? Any, I mean, obviously, he, he doesn't remember two, but any does he remember any no. when he was older? Yeah, he remembers because every time I came in, if it was somewhere I was making a short run, he would want to go. He'd get up in the truck with me. He would watch me do the pre-trip. He would watch me do things with the truck and the same thing with his father. You know, he would do the same thing with him. So he's been around the industry all his life. What is that like as a mother uh, with an unconventional occupation that obviously has you away for long periods of time, odd hours and all that as your you know, child or children are going through school and, and you're trying to, you know, have structure and all that? Can you give an idea of what that's like and how you manage that? Yeah, it's very hard. My mother lived with me uh, when I was raising my children to make sure that they were stable for the times that I had to run the road. So my mother's a big part of helping me raise my kids and take care of them. She was there day in and day out when I was raising them. I always made sure I had runs that I, would go, I was gone no more than one night overnight, and I would be back home with them, and then I was home on the weekends. But it is very hard because sometimes you miss moments that you really want to be there, but you have to make a sacrifice to make sure your kids are raised a certain way and that they have the proper things that they need in life. So that was mostly the reason why I ran the road and did what I did so that they would have a good, stable life. What are some moments you remember uh, being like, man, I wish I were back home for that? Hmm. One moment in, uh, in, in, in my mind, my mother called me and said she had to get Justin because he took two bricks and a lawnmower and jacked, jacked it up in the air and he had some tools and was getting ready to go under a lawnmower. I'm talking about like a, a push mower, not like a, a big mower. He had took it and took blocks and set it up and called himself getting ready to try to work on it. I think he was like four. <laughs> and she she grabbed the tool from him and I kind of wish I would have got to see that moment, but I didn't get to see that moment when he did that. So, But I was in California actually on my way back home and she called me and told me. I said, did you get a picture? And she's like, no, <laughs> didn't get a good picture because I was so scared he was going to cut himself with a blade or something. But he was just a curious child. 
uh, growing up. He's very mechanically inclined. So. When did you first sort of get the idea, okay, he's different athletically than all of his peers, and he is going to be able to do this maybe at a high level, whether whether football or basketball. I guess he was really good at basketball as well, right? Yes, he was good at both sports. Not me, Justin, was going to be great at a lot of things because he always sought to be the best at anything that he did. And I always try to instill it in all my kids. Um, so if you're going to do something, do it at, at the best best spot that you can do something. But I, tell, I always tell Justin, if you're digging ditches, dig, dig the best ditch you can dig. Do not do things half, halfway. Always do them to the full extent. So I feel like when I seen him perform and he kept putting the work in and he practiced hard, even when he wasn't uh, at practice, Justin would get parachutes on his own and run. He would get uh, training from other individuals that had been in the NFL, things like that. He would get training from them personally. So I knew then that, that he would work on his own and spend his own money on this stuff. So I knew that he really wanted to be good at what he was doing, and he strived to be great. When did he, uh, uh, by your recollection, did he first take notice of Clemson uh, and, and sort of as, as being somewhere where he would want to go? When his sister was there. Mm-hmm. When he was in junior high, his sister went off to college. Uh, I think it was his eighth or ninth grade year. And she was at Clemson, and we went to visit her a lot. And, um, you know, he liked the school. He liked the way they treated her. Everything was very welcoming, and we like the family feel at Clemson. So I didn't know that's where, where he was going to choose because he had so many offers, but that's why I was hoping he was going to go. But uh, in the end results, I think it was because of Ronisha and how well she did at Clemson and how she expressed to him how things were uh, when she showed him the education side of Clemson and how top-notch of the school that Clemson was uh, that he really wanted to go there. You remember the uh, any other the other sort of finalists, I guess, for uh, that he was that he was seriously considering going to. Well, he kept coming back there. That's the reason why I kind of knew that's where he would probably choose because every time they had a game and they would invite him to come, he would go. He visited Clemson more than he visited other schools. So in my mind, as a parent, I kind of had a feeling that this is where he was going to go, and I was kind of happy about it, but I just didn't know if he was going to up and go somewhere differently because he had Notre Dame on his on his radar. He had Tennessee out of his top three. It was Tennessee, I think Notre Dame and Clemson. But I think he thought about Notre Dame was pretty far away, so that's the travel. Tennessee, if it snowed a great deal, we may not get there. But Clemson wasn't the two hours from home. So I think that's what he looked at. He knew that his family could be there and support him. The first time you met Dabo Sweeney in person. Hmm. I like Dabo. Um, I, I, I looked at him a lot on TV. I did some research on him before um, Justin going to school there. And the thing that stood out to me the most about Dabo that I liked that he was a God-fearing man. That in my family means a whole lot. So spiritually, that's what really drew me to Dabo. And when I met him and his family for the first time, uh, we, we went to, I think, the we was at the we was going to the facility, I think, to see the touring of them building the facility, I think. Or mm-hmm. I can't remember the very first time, I'll be honest with you, we did so many times, but every time I met him, he was very family oriented, very welcoming. And Dabo seems like the type of person that whether you're the top player or the 
uh, just a little rookie, he treats everybody the same, and that meant a lot to me. You know, it's interesting, like, uh, I guess the casual just college football fan or fans of other schools, people who, you know, just have sort of a surface-level view of Clemson and Dabo, you know, you hear commonly, oh, he's just a he's just a cheerleader and he's a fraud and, and, and uh, he's just saying these things. But every person you speak to uh, who has been around the program says he's the genuine article, that, it, that all of that stuff is real. It sounds like you have that, uh, that view as well. Well, to me, what was important to me was the, the values that he was going to instill in my son as a man, not just a football player. So, that was the part that I was looking at when it came to every school we visited. And I watched him closely. My son would tell you I watched people's character a whole lot. And to me, I wanted to make sure that the whole facility, the people that were there working, it was more family-oriented because I wanted good qualities in him as a man, also as a football player, but most definitely as a man and as a student and as a role model. And I wanted him to be a good role model to, to others to instill, you know, good things in other kids to make them understand the reason why he chose the school and just different things that make other kids to be motivated to do the same things that he's doing. It's interesting you mentioned you, you telling Justin if, if you're going to dig ditches, build the best, dig the best dang ditch you can. Dabo right. tells, he, he is frequently uh, relates that he tells his, his low-level staffers in the football office, like graduate assistants, like, hey, if your job is to is to bring the coaches coffee, you know, bring the best dang coffee <laughs> you can and, and, and make it the best, make the best impression you can. Uh, do it f- fully uh, and 100%, and that, that type of stuff matters as you try to advance yourself in whatever career you choose. Well, that's, that's true because you may be – you may be the male boy, but five years from then, you might be the CEO. So that's how I look at that. So if you do the best job that you can do, you never know who may see your potential. You never know who's looking at you who's watching you. What was it like for Justin in 2018 to be around those those three, uh, I guess, four defensive linemen who, who stayed, I guess mainly Christian Wilkins, Austin Bryant, Cleveland Farrell, who probably should have been gone. Most people thought they were gone after the 17th season, but they stayed. Um, just being around those guys, um, what what kind of impact did that have on on Justin? Not just as a as a player, but also just as a as a person. Well, I think as far as football was concerned, you know, I think that a lot of the guys showed him the pros and cons of things he should and should not do to make him a better player. He did mention that to me. And then the qualities of what you should do after football and, and, you know, the education side of it and as far as the next level, what you should expect and things like that and why they were working so hard to get to the levels that they were. Some things were their family. Some things were was because they wanted to invest in businesses later. Different things. It was just different avenues of different sides of everything that they taught him that I really think added on to his life only with the, with the things that he already knew. It just made him an even better person to know that this is what he wanted to do with his life and he wanted to keep striving for it. So if we can go back to, I guess, I guess all the whole, all the pandemic and shutdown and everything started in, in, in March of 2020 and then spring practice basically 
is cut short and then everybody's back home sort of left to their own devices and you're sort of learning more about about the the virus and everything and what what are you what sort of what is going through your mind and and, and Justin's mind at that time knowing that he has a a pre-existing sort of condition with asthma and that you know it's uh, takes on more danger to those types of of people can you just put take us back to that couple of months i guess from or three or three months or so from march to may or june when he came back and and what what that was like just sort of trying to figure out how you know how dangerous is this and 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 then him him returning to to the football program back then well it was kind of a mystery for all of us and we just kind of you know to do it at the point that we were very worried about him because Every time I would ask him how the doctor visits go, he said, Mama, it's just going to take time. It's going to be time, you know, because they didn't know a whole lot about the virus. And it's kind of like just a mystery for everybody. And you just, like, I was wondering to myself, was well, my child going to get any better? Is he going to get to go back to football? What is his life going to be like? Different things like that was coming into my heart. And then also I was worried about his uh, mindset at that time because, he would say he was okay, but I just felt like that was the man in him trying to stand strong and let me know that he's okay. But at the same time, I felt like things were bothering him because uh, who, what kid would it not bother with what man? He's a man now, but I say kid because he's my son. But what man would it not bother if your friends are out there performing on the field and you got to stay on the sideline and watch and it's something that you love doing? So I knew it bothered him, and, and I was just praying and asking God to heal him because I knew it was something that he really wanted to do and he wanted to be great at it, you know. And he didn't want to go out there and do a, a half job at it. He wanted to do a great job at it if he had to do it. So they come back uh, a, a year ago. I guess it was late May, maybe early June, uh, the team does. And then I guess soon thereafter, maybe several weeks thereafter, they have an outbreak of COVID, I want to say like 37 players he is one of them and tell me if i'm getting this this right but initially didn't seem like that big of a deal um he really wasn't that sick and it was only after uh, several weeks uh, thereafter that he tried to start working out that he that he that he that something was felt like it was wrong is that is that how it went Yes, pretty much how it went because first when he was sick he thought it was just he was going to be fine because he had only had like sinus type symptoms so we all have some sinus issues in the family so we thought it was just sinuses and he said i I had a little bit of a cough but then it went away and he thought he was going to be fine it was just when he went back to trying to condition that he knew something was wrong so it was kind of like a a throwing a a softball into somebody's head with us the whole family because we was we was thinking he was going to return back and be okay but then when they when he told us that, it, it really shocked everybody because we thought he was going to be okay. And I think that people don't understand with COVID, it's, it's really a big mystery because some people can have it and do their regular work and may think they're okay. But if you don't have your lungs tested to see the severeness of the damage that it can do to you, sometimes it can be a lot, lot worse than what you think. And what was he telling you then initially, like, to where you... Uh, maybe started to get concerned. I mean, I think I remember him saying it was he would just walk up a flight of stairs or walk into a grocery store or even carry on a carrying on a 
a lengthy conversation. He'll be winded after that. Um, when do you remember thinking, man, this is this is this is not good? Well, when I came to visit him and I seen how he was moving with certain things and how he would slow down and and when we talked about it, he would tell him, I get tired when I do this and I was like, Well, you know, I said you have to take your time and just let this process work. They saying it's gonna take time, so we just have to wait and see what happens. So I'm just thankful to do that they were able to get him in better condition because um, I, I don't know what we would have did if they wouldn't have because it, it was his, his asthma and everything else. I just thought it was going to be a very long process. I think I remember hearing that he went to visit specialists in Greenville, maybe even Charleston. I could be getting that wrong, but how many different how many different doctors did he see? Uh, and I'm talking last year. Not more recently at Duke, but, but but last summer and last fall, how many? How often was he going to see people to try to help resolve this? Yeah, I think it was like every two weeks he was at a doctor's appointment because they had to keep an eye and adjust. But I don't know exactly how many it was that Clemson sent him to. Uh, I think it was like two or three doctors. They they made different specialists with him, and then after that, once he he was thinking he wasn't going to get any more help, that's when he decided to go to. Uh, do because the doctors at, at, in Greenville, they weren't, weren't able to really, you know, look into the virus as good as Duke Hospital was. So evidently, they were more top-notch specialists that looked at him there that, know, that knew more about the virus. So, and, and you have to realize that this virus is new to everybody. So all the doctors are not going to be top-notch with this virus until they really find out all the pros and cons of it. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experience team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Matt Gross is a proud Clemson alum and the vice president for the Clemson Market for Founders Federal Credit Union. Matt's office is located beside the Walmart Neighborhood Market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. You know, Justin was telling me one of the one of the hardest parts of, of, of going through that as a member of the team was that, like, you know, when they're going through a, a, a workout or, or in the weight room and everybody's you know, you're you're grinding. You're 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 giving your best. You're trying to push through um, your limits, and 
it's like he's like 20% of what he of what he should be but to the outside person looking at him whether it be a player or a coach he looks the same and yet this guy's sitting here saying I, I'm, I'm sorry I'm winded how hard do you think that was for him to sort of you know navigate that in the in, in, in football, you know, you're supposed to be a warrior. You're not supposed to admit weakness. You're supposed to push through pain whereas, or, or difficulty, whereas for him, pushing through difficulty could have meant, you know, possibly dying. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I know it was hard for my son because my son is usually the type of person that he loves to perform at the top level of anything that he does. So for him to try to push like that and can't do it, he probably felt belittled in a way because he wanted to be great. You know what I mean? He's sitting there, he's trying and he's trying and then he can't do his fullest extent or something. That would that would hurt me just to see him do that. And try it and then he couldn't do it. Because I know the type of person that he is. So I I it would just break my heart to even watch him do that because he he loves to do everything at a top level. And he loves to perform at the greatest level that he can. So you got to think about that. It probably crushed his heart every single time he tried and there was nothing he could do about it. And when doctors are telling you this is only time, 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 well, you know, the football, he wanted to do the best he could and make sure that he finished and on a good level. You always want to finish strong. So I guess that was the thing about it. He didn't want to finish that way. He wanted to finish strong. What was... I guess Coach Sweeney's perspective through the whole thing, maybe other coaches as well, Venables, Coach uh, Coach Bates and Lemansky Hall, like what was their, I guess, advice to him or perspective or opinion like on what he should do during that whole time? What was that like sort of navigating, you know, what he was dealing with while also uh, balancing that between what the coaches might have been expecting? I mean, they wanted him to stay focused and positive about it and just to hold on and wait and see what the doctors find out. They didn't want him to leave when he, he was wanting to retire from football. Uh, and they just really wanted him to stay the course and keep trying and just to see if things will open back up for him. But I think Justin just got a little frustrated with things and he thought that it was the end for him. And that's the reason why he decided to leave because he felt like he could put his energy into something else to make his life more positive at the time. That's how he felt because anybody who keeps trying at something like that, it can be very frustrating when you change anything to come out differently. So they did stay very positive to him. I was Venables and I always encouraged Justin to do the right thing and to stay positive and not to give up easily. That's one thing about them in football, they don't like for them to give up. They push them very hard to stay strong and to keep pushing and do their best without hurting them. They try to do everything they can to make them gravitate to, to top levels. It had to be torture going through an entire season standing there and watching. Did you pick that up that that was oh, really yeah. hard for him? I can tell. I can tell by the facial expressions I'm watching and I watch on TV or if I was there at the game, I could see um, his face and just look and, and I could tell that, the, that he wanted to be on that field very badly but he couldn't so do you do you remember when he first told you uh, I, I think I'm done I think I'm going to give it up yes he gave me a phone call and he asked me what did I think 
And I told him that he had to do what was best for himself. I said, I'm not in your body, son. You know how you feel. I said, football, that's something that you have to do for yourself. I said, so if you feel like that you can do it, you stay with it. If you feel like that, that you can't do it anymore and that your health will not get any better, I told that he didn't need to. I told him I would rather have my son than him dropping dead on the football field. So that was my exact words to him. So I said, you do what's best for you. Because you got to make yourself happy. You can't, I tell people all the time, you can't live your dreams to your children. Your children have to live their own dreams and reach for all of those. So that's the reason why I told him to make the decision that he thought was best. And he told me he was going to leave football. So I told him, I said, I will support you whichever way you decide to go. Your mom is going to be there always to support you. Was this after the season back in January or before that? That was after the season. It was over. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he made his decision to leave, it was after the season. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, you know that was into. Let me see. After the whole season went by, I think it was what March, somewhere in there, February, March. I can't remember that date when he called me and told me, but it was around February, March when he talked to me about it. And so then, fast forwarding to after he has gone to the. Uh, to, to Duke and gotten uh, more expert sort of insight on, on his condition. What, uh, when did you feel confident that, okay, my son can come back and I don't have to worry about him, you know, or I don't have to worry about him, him dying on the field, I guess, like you said, uh, to where, you know, a drastic event could happen when did you feel safe and confident in that advice enough to 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 say great going back to football well i'm gonna be honest with you i don't pacify my kids and i don't baby them because i feel like i raised them to be strong individuals i let i let justin decide on his own if he felt like he would be good great and be okay about going back and he talked to me about it i said so if you feel like that you're capable and that you can do this I said, I'm here to support you in whatever you decide to do. So he told me, he said, Mom, I think I'm going to be fine. I've been conditioned. My lungs are opening up. I'm feeling better. I'm breathing better. You know, so he, he had talked to Sweeney, and he told me that he wanted to go back. So and I said, well, if that's what you want to do, I said, I'm here to support you. So, yeah, I, I felt great about it because as long as my child, I can hear his voice, and I, I hear that the emotions in him that says that he's really okay with this, I'm okay with it mm-hmm. because he's, he's a 22-year-old man now. He's not a kid anymore, so I trust his judgment and things that he decides to do. And then he when, when he got the vaccine, there was like a, a noticeable change, I guess, after that? Like some of the symptoms went away? Is that accurate? Yes, that's true. As he told me, he said, Mom, I got the vaccine. It helped me breathe better, and I feel better. That's, those, those were his exact words. So I, I was happy about that. That's crazy because I remember, I'm certainly not taking credit for that, but but I remember reading an article in the Washington Post on uh, a large number of long-haul, people with long-haul COVID symptoms, seeing those symptoms disappear after they got the vaccine. And I actually sent him that article. And I said, I don't know if you if you've gotten the vaccine, but this is definitely worth your, uh, you know, this is this is fascinating. And so he said thank you, and I guess he went <laughs> ended up getting the vaccine. That's great to that's great to hear. What when what does he 
can you do you have any any idea of his his uh, I guess the progression of his physical activity and what he is able to do now as he I guess uh, I'm assuming he's back in Clemson training with the team. Yeah, he's back training. He's back to some of his old habits and turning some wrenches and doing some things on his on his spare time. And he's been a lot more active. So I can see a big difference in how he's been performing as himself uh, versus how it was when he, he had the prolonging uh, health conditions that was kind of lagging him back from doing what he loved doing. So I see him move at a different pace now. Is the expectation that he'll be back to 100% what he was? Um, or is it maybe, um, okay, I might be lesser and that's fine. I mean, I think even even even, even Dabo said, hey, you know, you don't have to play 60 snaps a game. Um, you can still help us. Do you have any feel for what the expectation is of, of, of how much he's going to be able to do and how much of his former self – um, is realistic that we'll see? Well, if I know my child the way I know my child, he's going to put 100% and try to do the best he can to perform at the, at, at the highest level that he can. I don't know if he's going to be able to perform at that level or not, but it's, it's good to be seen to see what's going to happen because they haven't even started physical contact yet. They've been doing a lot of conditioning, but uh, in the next few months, I guess we'll see how that's going to turn over and how well he performs when he gets on the field. Nobody knows that but him and God. So yeah. uh, right now we just have to wait and see. I guess the, to, uh, shifting gears again, today is the first day that uh, athletes can, can profit off their name, image, and likeness. I don't know how much or how little you've been paying attention to this, but I, since I have you on the phone, I, I, I feel like I need to ask what your thoughts on this this new era in college athletics are as far as uh, athletes being able to say, uh, go have an autograph signing and get paid for it or uh, be sponsored by the local pizza joint or something like that. What do you, Have you thought about this much, and, and do you have any opinions on it? Well, that's not a politics for me. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't like politics a whole lot, but um, I, I'll say this. Whatever they decide to do, it's yet to be seen. Um, we'll see what happens. I really don't want to comment on that a lot. Sure. Uh, and I feel like that my son, he'll be great. And he'll prosper no matter what he does. He could probably make some money uh, sponsoring, uh, having a local uh, mechanic, <laughs> local yeah, auto yeah. mechanic sponsor. <laughs> you, know, you never know. You might see him on TV one day turn on rental. You never know. That's so. right. Well, is there anything that we haven't covered that that uh, that, 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 that I've missed or uh, anything else you'd like to say just about Justin and the whole experience? No, I just wish that I'm praying that they have a very prosperous season and that he performed well. He performs well on the on the field, and I just wish the whole team the best and that everybody stays safe and just have a great season. Let's go Tigers! Well, Teresa, thank you so much for for joining us for such a long period of time. Uh, as you travel down down to Florida, and and best of luck to you as you resume your uh, the industry that you love, and and um and, and that's wonderful to hear that you're that you're getting back into it. Well, thank you very much, and you have a very great day, and it was a pleasure speaking with you. Man, there are a few things cooler or more noticeable than a mother's love for her son. It really comes out from Teresa in that interview. 
about her son, Justin. Really appreciate her joining us during her travels. Also, all the best to Justin as he gets back to playing the game he loves. It's a really cool story, really good story already, and it's shaping up to be an even better one. So looking forward to following that as it continues. Appreciate our very loyal sponsors for helping making this possible. Most of all, thanks to all of you for hitting play. Everybody have a safe and fun fourth weekend, and we'll be back next week. Cheers.